Um, all right, so we're in the Hero series, and um, so it's been inspired by this Hebrews 12, chapter 1 and 2. It says, therefore, since we've been surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, so we have all kinds of witnesses that surround us in our life, both in the Bible here today, um, people that are right now next door neighbors, but we have a cloud of witnesses. He says, since we have such a great one, let us throw off everything that hinders and all the sin that so entangles us and let us run the race. So all of us have this race marked out. Um, 2 Timothy 4, 7, one of my favorite passages. Um, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's really at the end of our life. That's what we all should desire to be able to say is I fought this fight, I finished the race that God gave me. So he said, because of all that, so so far in our hero series, here are all the ones that are underlined are the ones that we have uh, tackled. We went through the, the time of the patriarchs, uh, we went through um, Moses, and then we went into the crossing of the promised lands, and today we're finishing up judges. So here's kind of a list. We have now, today we'll mark our 11th week in our hero series. What I like about this is this is that we're kind of marching through the Old Testament, handling the different characters as they come, but each message is a standalone. So if you, today is your first time, it's not like you um, that this is all building on each other. This is just the next person in line. So one of the things that we, um, I want you guys to know is that throughout the book of Judges, we see what I, I'm calling a cycle of insanity. And, uh, insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting different results. Surely none of us have ever done that, right? Where you do the same thing over and over and over and you expected it to be different, but it's still the same thing. So here's the cycle that we see through the book of Judges. God saved the people. After he saves the people, then the people stray away from God. And then when they strayed away from God, then bondage and bad things happened in their life. And when the bad things happened in their life, they began to complain to God, oh, my life is miserable. Oh, why is this happening? God saves them. Then they stray. Surely that's not a cycle that we see in our own life, is it? I mean, right? <laughs> we kind of look at this we're like, uh, we do this all the time. So here's it actually in the scriptures and uh, Judges. So the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua, all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord which he had done in Israel. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which he had done for Israel. Then the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord, and they served the Baals. They forsook the Lord their God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt, and they followed other gods from among the gods of the people who were all around them. They bowed down to them, and they provoked the Lord to anger. And the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, so he delivered them into the hands of plunderers who despoiled them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies all around so that they could no longer stand before their enemies, and they were greatly distressed. Nevertheless, the Lord raised up judges, who delivered them out of the hand of those who plundered them. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but they played the harlot with other gods. They bowed down to them. They turned quickly from the way which their fathers walked in obeying the commands of the Lord. They did not do so. And when the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them out of the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved in pity, by pity, by their groaning, 
because of those who oppressed them and harassed them. And it came to pass when the judge was dead that they reverted and behaved more corruptly than their fathers by following the other gods and served them and bowed down to them. They did not cease from their own doings nor from their stubborn way. Hence, cycle of insanity, right? What I'm wanting us to see today is this, this cycle here has a lot to do with what we're going to talk about and the person that we're going to be focused on today. So today we're going to talk about the villain Micah. This is not Micah the prophet. This is uh, the last person described in the book of Judges. And here's what it says. So, so the lesson today is this. When left to ourselves, we have the tendency to do the wrong thing. Oh. Right? When you're left to yourself, there's no one in authority over you. When you're left all to yourself, to your own thoughts, to your own actions, to your own wants and desires, what do you have a tendency of doing? Whatever you want to do, right? I mean, that's the tendency. We have this, hey, I don't have anybody here to tell me what to do. Kids love when they get out of the house of their parents, right? I can do whatever I want to do. All the adults are really quiet because that was all of us one day, right? We look back and we're like, man, I, I, I grew up and there was like, I can't wait to do this all on my own. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. I remember going to college and I was like, when I was going to college, I was like, I can stay up as late as I want and my mom and dad can't tell me to go to bed. I went to bed at 930 because I was tired, but I got to choose for myself to go to bed at 9.30. No, so here's the deal. So villain Micah. So um, Micah's not even, not even a, a, a judge. He's just a, a man that is, that is an example, a witness, not in a good way, but he's a, a man that's, he, was, he never even was a judge in this. He just was a person who's incorporated into the Bible for us to learn a valuable lesson to. After Samson, we talked about Samson and Delilah last week, there was a period of time there were no judges no kings, no prophets, no priests. So my question would be is, what does life look like when you're left all alone to yourself? You're left alone to yourself. When you're home alone, right? As we watch Christmas movies, when you're home alone, right? Okay, so Judges 17, 1 through 6, it says, Now a man named Micah said to his mother, so... uh, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you, about which, you, which I heard you utter a curse, I have the silver with me, I took it. So he stole silver from his own mother. She then uttered a curse, cursed the person who took the silver. He's like, oh, I don't want to be cursed. Mom, I took it. His mother said, Lord, bless you, son. I would have whooped that kid for stealing. I wouldn't be saying, Lord, bless you. But anyways, the Lord bless you, my son. When he, re- when he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son make, to make an image overlaid with silver. I'll give it back to you. I want to give this silver to God. Now go make an idol. Terrible, terrible. So after he returned with the silver to his mother, she took the 200 shekels of the silver, gave it back to a silversmith, and he used it to make an idol. And it was put in Micah's house. Now this man, Micah, had a shrine, 
and he made an ephod. And I'm going to tell you about that here in just a little bit. And some of the household gods installed one of his sons as his... He installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, Israel had no king and everyone did as they saw fit. Man, I'll tell you what, this is, this is relevant to our lives. We're going to look at what does life look like without leadership. What is... What is Micah's, how did Micah handle life without having a leader? So here we go. He stole 1,100 shekels of silver from his own mother. That's, that's one of his, he, you know, he does whatever he wants to do. So he, he took from his own mother. An idol then was made out of that silver. Note this. He, had, he returned the silver to his mother because he heard her utter a curse. I want you to understand, he didn't return it to her because he felt guilty. He returned it to her because he heard her utter a curse and he didn't want to be cursed. He heard her curse and I was like, he goes, oh, I don't want to be under a curse. Mom, I took it. It wasn't like, man, I really feel guilty. I really feel wrong. I feel like I shouldn't have done that. I'm sorry. Here it is. I'm going to return it. He returned it only after he got caught. Right? Well, that sounds like all of our kids, but all of us adults too. Come on. Right? How many of us really feel guilty and we fess up and we own it? We usually have to get caught first. So here's the thing. His, his, he, he gave it because he, get, he felt guilty. He gave it back. He wouldn't have given it back if not otherwise. He then also, the third thing that he did is he created his own religion. He had a graven image made, made an ephod for it, and then he chose for himself and ordained his own son to be his priest. So this is kind of what happens in our life without leadership. We begin to kind of do our own thing. Because here's one of the things that happens in America. So as, as I looked at, you know, as he created his own religion, that is right now the most popular thing in America. Right now there's millions of people that are creating their own religion. Well, they've stopped going to church. They don't want to go to hell. But then what we start doing is like, well, I like Jesus. And we start kind of going through the whole thing. Well, I like the mercy. I like the, the grace. I like the love. And then you get people who will say like, hey, if God is so loving, then why would he do this? Or why would he do that? What happens is people are taking the things that they like about God out of the Bible and saying, that's what I'm going to hold on to. That's the God I'm going to worship. But here's the problem. There's one God and you got to worship the God, who he is, not who you would have him to be. See, the problem today is that we want to take things and say, I don't like that part. I don't like that God is going to have a judgment day. I don't like that there's hell. I don't like that there's, there's the wrath of God. I don't like that God doesn't want me to do this. I don't like that God doesn't want me to do that. And then we say, I don't like those things, so I'm just going to push them over here. Well, then you've created your own version of Jesus and probably in your own image. See, that's what happens when we are left to lead ourselves. We lead ourselves astray. Here's where he went wrong biblically. The Bible says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image. Here's the mom saying, I'm going to dedicate this money to God. Now go make an idol. Seriously? 
in the form of anything in heaven above or the earth below. So this is what he says. There's not. So number two, he then made an ephod. An ephod is like a, is, is like a priestly garment. Make a sacred garment for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Honor. Not an otter. Honor. Yep. These were sacred garments made for the priest. Not anyone got to make them. They had to be special Levites assigned by God to make the garment. Not just anybody like, I think I'm just going to go into business and make ephods, right? No, no. There was a certain person of the Levite tribe that would have to do this work, and it was done a certain way. He says, well, I'm just going to do it myself. And then he hired his own priest. Well, the Bible says, Then a man of God came to Eli, this is in 1 Samuel, and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt and Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of the tribes? You see, here's what I want you to understand. It's God who chooses who's going to be a priest, who's going to be a pastor, who's going to be a prophet, who's going to be an evangelist. It's God's choice, not man's choice. I did not choose to do this. I, I can promise you that. I, was, I had other plans. I was going to be an elementary education. I was going to be an elementary teacher. And I thought, you know what? Finger painting and recess sounds great. I'm like, this is going to be awesome. I'm going to be an adult who gets to go to recess and drink chocolate milk out of a carton every single day. Right? I'm like, this is going to be great. I loved sports, so I wanted to be a coach. And so I had it all planned out. And then God said, I want you to deal with a whole bunch of stubborn people who want to do their own thing. <laughs> right? It's a true story. I love you guys. Um, so, but here's the thing is, is what I'm wanting you to see is that here's the deal. There was no one. There was no king. There was no judge. There was no priest to tell people, stop doing that. Stop doing that. So what happens is when we are left to ourselves, we have the tendency to do the wrong thing. We have a tendency to create our own religion. And most of the time when we create our own religion, it really looks a lot like ourself. We have a hard time in America worshiping ourselves to begin with. <clears throat> so who's the authority over Micah? In all of this story, who is leading Micah? The, the, the answer is no one. But I want you to ask this question for yourself. Who leads you? When you remove all the leaders from your life. Well, because think about this. You guys are getting really quiet today. It's all right. Not every sermon is um, flowers and daisies. But in America, people, what, 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 I gave a statistic several weeks ago about how many people were quitting, quit the church every single day. I think it was 1,300 a day, if I'm not mistaken. 1,300 a day quit church every single day of the year. And it was like 2 point something, 2.3 million people a year just quit. One, I don't want somebody telling me what I should say and what I shouldn't say, what's right and what's wrong. I'll decide for myself. What does that look? You see what I'm saying? When we start getting to a place in our life, we're like, I don't want somebody to tell me what to do and what not to do. That's a kid to a parent. I'm tired of my parents telling me what to do. Any kids feel that way? Put your hand down, Alicia. <laughs> Kids are like that. I, mean, I remember those days. I'm tired of mom and dad telling me what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. 
But that's, we need that. That's a part of our development. That's a part of our growth. And what happens is we want to remove, our, our tendency is that I want to remove authority from my life. I want to live without authority. Then I can be my own leader. That's never a good idea. So this young Levite, he went from, uh, a young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah who had been living within the clan of Judah left the town in search of some other place to stay. On his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country. Micah asked him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Micah said to him, live with me and be my father. I just Does this sound as ridiculous to you as it did to me when I'm reading? I'm just wanting to make sure, right? Hey, stranger that I don't know, you're a Levite. Huh, live with me and be my father. And I'll give you 10 shekels of silver a year, your clothes and food. So the Levite agreed to live with him. And the young man became like one of his sons. Be my father and I'm going to treat you like a son. Be my father, I'm going to treat you like a son. How does that work? You see, when you're left to yourself, you get to do, you're, 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 you're kind of leading your, your own way. I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And you know what? I'm going to hire this guy. He's going to live with me. He's going to be my father. But I'm going to... Here's the deal is if a, a father is the authoritarian, right? But I'm going to treat him like a son. And a son doesn't have the authority over a father. Am I right? So I want you to be the authority, but not really the authority. That's what he's saying is I want... I want to look like I have authority in my life without actually having authority in my life. That's how messed up this is. But we do the same things ourselves. We are constantly not wanting to submit ourselves under an authority, and yet God is the one who did it. And then he says, so this is what Micah's thinking in his head, right? He's like, this, uh, I'm going to treat him like a son. Uh, then Micah installed the Levite. The young man became the priest and lived in the house. Uh, now... And Micah said, now I know the Lord will be good to me since I have a Levite as my priest. So God's going to be happy with me even though that, that that we've made a false idol over here that we're worshiping. I created my own ephod and I hired my own guy. I decided all of these things. I created a religion. I hired the guy. I did all of these. Now God's going to bless me because he is a Levite. He clearly does not know the word of God, right? Okay. So, when someone rejects God, when, when somebody rejects, let me say it this way, when somebody rejects God's given authority and leadership, what they do is they choose themselves to be the authority. Here's what I want us to be very cautious of. In America, we like to, to you know, um, we have a hard time submitting. I, am I right? It's hard to submit, right? Let me ask this, just honestly, ladies. How many of you find that sometimes submission to a husband is rather difficult? Well, that hand was up. I didn't even get out the, the question. All right. Okay. All right. Right? Children, how hard do you, would you find that it's pretty hard to submit sometimes to your parents? Raise your hand if you think that sometimes it's hard to submit lying. All the rest of them are lying. Okay. So, so here's the thing. When you reject So God has put in your life levels of authority. 
Like, they're like, why did I come to church on this day? Right? God is the one who established these different levels of, of, of authority. When you reject what God placed in your life, you chose yourself. That's what I need you to hear today. When you reject what God placed in your life, you said, God, I don't like your way that you chose. I'm doing it myself. I choose me. When you do that, you create your own rules, right? I'm going to do whatever I want to do. You, you, you set your own standards. You choose your own direction going your own way. Right? All the things that God has done for you, who God has already set these things in motion, set these things in your life, He's already created the rules, He already set the standard, He already chose the direction, He already showed you the way, and you say, no God, I don't want that, I'm doing my own. So then you become your own God. That doesn't sound very good when I say it like that, right? tell me that I'm wrong. Right? I mean, think about this. When you say, God, I'm doing my own thing, my own way, what you did is say, God, I reject your way. I'm going to do it my way. Well, then who's playing God? See, here, I need you to understand is this. You, the result of leading yourself, you take on God's role and you play God. Since you cannot be God, you can only play God. You can't be God, you can only play, right? So the first step to every recovery program that we do, admit that I'm not God. That's, that's, like, that's the starting point of every recovery program. Admit that you're not God. And we're like, well, that's not too hard. But you keep playing God. You say it's not hard to say you're not God, but you keep playing his role. Did you know that the devil did the exact same thing? Check this out. This is what in Ezekiel 28 spoke of. It was comparing um, Lucifer, the devil, to a king of Tyre. It says, you were a seal of perfection, full of wisdom, and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone adorned you. I'm not going to say all of those. There's turquoise in there, though. Um, your settings and mountains were made of gold on the day you were created. They were prepared. You were anointed as a guardian cherub, for so I ordained you. You were on the mountain, the holy mountain of God. You walked among the fiery stones. You were blameless in the ways from the day you were created until wickedness was found in you. I would say this, don't live today on your faith of yesterday. See, all these parts of here, you see the you were's, I underlined them for you. You were this, you were all past tense, because he ain't pretty now. He may try to look and, and fool you that he's pretty, he ain't pretty. His heart is ugly, his heart is darkened, he is evil to the core, so the devil is not pretty. But you were you were. And so often what we do is we find ourselves in these troubled places because we're still trying to, to live today on my faith that I had yesterday. Now look what happens. So I drove you in disgrace from the mount of God. I expelled you, guardian cherub, from among the fiery stones. Your heart became proud 
on account of your beauty, and you corrupted your wisdom because of your splendor. So I threw you to earth. I made a skeptical of you before the kings. The Bible says over and over and over, God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. You find this verse, um, this, I just wrote down the two places that you can easily find it. It is throughout the entire Old Testament, New Testament. It's a, a, a repeated phrase. God opposes the proud, gives grace to the humble. He's, he's saying to the devil, he's like, man, you were all of these things until wickedness was found in you and your heart, what had happened is your heart became proud. You thought you were something. You thought you knew better, right? You, you think you know better than your parents. You think you know better than your spouse. You think you know better than your teacher. You think you know better than, than, than whatever else that God has put in your life. You think you know better. Pride is very easily that comes into our hearts. And then he says, and on account of and your, you corrupted your wisdom. You corrupted your wisdom. Now, I want, to, I want to show you something. I think of Romans chapter 1 a lot. The wrath of God is being revealed. This is chapter 1, Romans 1, verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the uh, uh, godlessness and the wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their own. What it's saying is this. I know what God said to do. I don't care. That's suppress, to suppress the truth is to push it away. You know what you're supposed to do, and you do this. How many struggle with suppressing the truth? I know what you want me to do, but I'm doing whatever I want to do, right? You guys are super quiet today. Like, are our toes hurting really bad today? Is that where you're, you're listening intently? You're listening intently? Like, you're you like gathering up some rocks or anything like, I mean, you know, like I'm, I'm getting a little, here, I, I know this is heavy. This is heavy for a reason. I don't know why God wanted this message, but this is what he wanted for us. Here's the deal. Man, God's wrath, so his anger is going to reveal itself against, so God opposes the proud, right? So his wrath is against people who push away God's truth. To do whatever they want to do. They know that God says do this. I'm not going to do it. That upsets God. How many of you parents. That upsets you. When your kids suppress the truth. Oh come on now parents. How do you now parents think. Because some of you are like. I'm not falling for this. I'm not raising my hand. Think about this now. Put that on the other side of it. God has set. His way for your life? How many times have you suppressed the truth? You know it makes you angry when your kids do it. Do you not think it makes God angry when you do that to him? God, I know you told me to not be unequally yoked, but I'm going to do it anyways. God, I know you told me to tithe. Cuss word. But I'm not going to. I know, God, you told me to love my enemies and pray for those who persecute me. But I don't want to. God, I know you told me to forgive. And if I don't forgive, you won't forgive me. I don't really care. What are we doing? We're suppressing God's truth. And then we wonder why things keep falling apart in our life. It's because we're living in rebellion. A child's life falls apart real quick when they're living in rebellion against their parents because the parent 
ain't playing a game. Right? Well, what do you think happens when you're living in rebellion against God? He ain't playing a game. Right? So let me show you. I want to, today, I really want, I want to show you what the Bible teaches about. God has set up very clear and what I think are unmistakable lines of authority. So here's the deal. In Romans chapter 13, he says, There's no authority except that which God has established. Isn't that amazing? There's no authority except that which God has established. So God established it. Whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. Whew. Now, Christ is the head of the church. I'm going to show you each one of these passages so you don't think that I'm lying. The Bible says that Christ is the head of the church. Okay, then God has called pastors and priests and apostles and all, whatever title you want to give those guys, God has called them out to help oversee and under-shepherd His church. So Christ is the head of the church. The church, what is the church the head of? That's a good question, right? We'll get back to that. So Christ is the head of the church. The pastor is authority to, not Two, so I'm here to help be an authority to the families. Hopefully to help set you up and say, this is what God says for the husband, the wife, the children, and so on and so forth. The husband is the head of the wife, and the parent is the head of the child. So you see how these umbrellas work, is that there is a covering of protection from Christ, the church, the pastor, the husband, and all the way down the line. So let's look at this one by one. Christ is the head of the church. Colossians chapter 1 says this, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, all things have been created through Him and for Him. I am a created being by God for God. I was created for God. Not for me, for God. Sometimes that's hard for us because we have so much pride in our life. I think I exist for me. I exist for God. When we get that point, then it's really easy to move forward with our life. I'm not here for me. I'm here for God. I was created by God for God. All things have been created through him and for him, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have supremacy. So I don't think that we're getting any higher than that. You guys agree? For God was pleased to have his fullness dwell in him, speaking of Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. So Christ is the head, head. He's the top. Well then, here's the, where does a pastor fit into this? Well, I am, as a pastor, uh, one, I, I didn't ask to do this. I, I, I asked not to do this. God did not listen to me. He did not let me do what I wanted to do. But I'm, I'm glad. I, I love being a pastor. It's, it's uh, very fulfilling most of the time. But... 
Um, it's hard. These are the hardest. I usually like to have like Pastor Paul or somebody else preach this sermon because I, ha- I don't ever like, I'm your authority. I'm, if I have to tell you that I'm your pastor, I'm probably not your pastor. I mean, does that make sense? Like, because here's the thing is, is that you don't ever have to, you could walk out of here, you could leave the room at any point, you don't have to listen to me. You are an adult, you can, and unless you're a kid, I can tell you to, you to sit down. But, but anyways, but for most of you, you can just walk out of the room and you don't have to listen to me or listen to anything I have to say. But the thing is, is that when you find a pastor that you trust and you can submit yourself to, it, 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 it is a great value to you. So in, in Hebrews 13, Obey your spiritual leaders and do what they say. Their work is to watch over your souls. And they are accountable to God. Give them reason to do this with joy and not with sorrow. That would certainly not be for your benefit. So when you guys are good, it's better for you. I'm just saying. <laughs> the sermons are better, more encouraging. So, First um, Thessalonians chapter five, dear brothers and sisters, honor those who are your leaders in the Lord's work. Their work, uh, they work hard among you and give you spiritual guidance. Show them great respect, wholehearted love because of their work, and live peacefully with each other. One of the things that you will always see is that a pastor is not here to hurt you. A pastor is here to guide and to give you spiritual counsel to try to help you walk in the ways that God would have you walk. So that every single week. If, if you guys knew how much time I spent praying and working on each one of these messages because I don't want to ever come unprepared and I never want to be here and give you something that is not useful to your life because that's no value to you. So I'm always like, God, what do you want me to tell your people? They're your people. This is your church. You're the head of it, and I'm just a piece of it. So I, I kind of look at myself like a mailman. God, I just want to share with them what you want them to hear. And, and for whatever reason, this is it. But we live in a time where I would say that I've never lived in a time, or of course I live in this time, but I don't know that there's ever been a time more than this time where people are so easily offended by the truth and quit so easily. I've never seen people quit church so easily. It's kind of interesting how, and sad, because that does no benefit to the person. So it's kind of like this. It's, we get to a point where like, I don't want you to tell me what I should say and what I shouldn't say. Well, I'm only telling you what God says that you should say, not, not me. Because if I was left to myself, I would do the wrong thing. But I'm accountable to God. God is, my, is, is one of my authority levels. And so this is what his word says. So I want to teach you what his word says. So that it will go well for you. And your home. Now check this out. So, so there's a pastoral authority or a church level authority in your life. Christ is the top. There's a pastoral authority in there. But look, a husband is the head of the wife. Guys, I didn't write this. This is not the second book of Daniel's opinions, chapter 5, verse 22. This is Paul writing to the church of Ephesians to help their, their home life. For wives... This means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. So Christ is the head of the church. The husband is the head of the wife. I didn't write it. Don't get angry with me. But this is a, this is a huge topic 
that is really hard for churches today. I can't tell you how many wives really hate this passage. I've even had people say, will you do my wedding, but don't use that passage? And I said, no. Every time I do a wedding, I'm going to read this passage. Because if you don't get this, then you shouldn't get married. It's hard. It might be easier to be single than to submit to someone. That's okay. In fact, Paul says, hey, stay Easy, ladies, easy. <laughs> so here's the thing. Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, he says, hey, if you're able to stay single, stay single. Make Christ your head. But if you can't, understand these people will have trouble. I read that at every wedding. If you get married, you will have trouble. She's trouble. He's trouble. Now, my grandma, I want to say this because what I've met so many men who have used this passage to manipulate their wives. Shame on you if you've ever done it and stop it or I'll bury you alive in a box. So here's the thing. That is not the way. That's not that. that. Here's what my grandma told me. I, I said, Grandma, how does this work? Because we live in a, I, I remember when I was young and I'm like, man, Women hate that verse, Grandma. <laughs> like, I, were, I remember I was 20 years old preaching in a church, and I'm like, every time I preach this, the women get angry that I'm talking about that they're to submit to their husbands. And my grandma said, you know what? If the man will love his wife like Christ loved the church, she will not have a problem submitting to his authority. So the problem that we have in the submission category is that men often have not loved their wife like Christ loved the church and then expects them to submit to him. Uh-uh. Nope. Doesn't work like that. Here's the thing. is that To me, if the husband is the leader, he's supposed to do the right thing even if she's not. You're the man. You're the leader. Lead and do it right. So the problem is, is that so many men have not shown the kind of love that their wives needed. And here's what the Bible says about that. The husband is to love his wife like Christ loved. Christ died for the church. Does she know that you would die for her? Have you sacrificed anything for her? Have, does she know that? Because if she doesn't, then you're probably not worth following. Kind of came out harsh. Can't take it back now. But it's true. It is true. So here's the thing is, if you find yourself in what Barbara and I have, we've taught a, a, a class for marriage about the crazy cycle. What happens is the, the, the husband is not showing the proper um, love to his wife. Then the wife is not showing respect to her husband. So here's the top need that he has. A man, his top need is to be respected by his wife, first and foremost. There is no person in this world I want to be more respected by than my wife. So when she doesn't show me that respect, it hurts me more than anyone else. But on the other side of that spectrum, she needs to be loved by me more than anyone else. And when I don't show her that love... She then doesn't show the respect that I need. Then I, in turn, don't show her the love she wants and needs. And then she's not showing me the respect. And we're on this stupid, crazy cycle that doesn't work. But as the leader of the house, 
it should be the man who breaks the cycle. The Bible says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. It does not say love her because she deserves it or love her when she deserves it. She may not deserve any love right now, but he says do it anyways because God said so. So God's word says you are to love your wife. Love her, and the love that he showed was unconditional. You love her even if she's not showing you respect. You love her even if she's being mean to you. You love her even if she's mistreating you. You love her because God said so, not because she deserves it. Now, on the other side of that spectrum, wives, you are to submit to your husbands. Not because he deserves it. Guess what? He doesn't. I know him. <laughs> and the reality is this. None of us really deserve it. I don't deserve my wife's respect. I sure want it. She doesn't deserve. the. I mean, she's not always worthy of that love. Mike, can I set up some counseling for next week? No. But the reality is this. Barbara would be the first one to tell you that not every moment of every day does she deserve. Like that she's earned it, right? We all fall short. We've all sinned. There's days where I'm acting like a jerk and I don't deserve her submission or her respect. And there's days that she's acting like a, a less than wonderful, amazing person. And, and so... What I'm wanting you to understand is that we're not doing it because they deserve it. We do it because God said so, and it's his way. It's not my, it didn't say, Daniel, how would you like, I just want her to do whatever I want, whenever I want, and just the way I like it, right? All the time, that's just what I want. Well, I'm not in charge. God said, this is how it's going to be. You're going to love her. She's going to submit and follow your leadership. But it's going to be hard for her to submit and follow your leadership when you're acting like a turd. Paul's not here to say, Oh, sorry, James. Sorry, James. Man, you looked up really quick. It was really quick. I didn't even get all the line out. Okay, so the husband is the head of the wife. Listen, I don't know why God made you a man or made you a woman, but that's, that's how it is. I've known a lot of women who I think would be phenomenal, great leaders, but God said, you are not the leader of the home. Not because that's my opinion, it's because that's how God said it. So if your home is going to be a biblical, Christian-based home, that's what it's got to look like. Not because I wrote the book, it's because God did. But when you do this, it can be beautiful. When the husband is leading in a way of love. My wife, she's, she's outspoken, but she respects me. And I, I love her. Does that help for earlier? Okay. Still got a little ways to go. Barbara is sometimes a stronger personality than I am. But the thing is, what we've found is that we balance each other really well. And what we've found is that when we're on the same page with each other it's 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 amazing when we are against each other it's quite um like world war three is going on you know so the thing is is that we have this beautiful relationship where 
I want to know what she's thinking. I want to know what's her opinion. But at the end of the day, you know what's amazing about my wife? She'll come to me and she goes, okay, you're the head of the home. What's the decision? When we disagree, when we disagree, she'll say, okay, you're the head. What do you decide? And there's been times I've moved my family to a different church, to a different town. That wasn't her choice. She said, you're the, you're, you're the husband, you're the leader. What are we going to do? Well, we're going to pack up and we're going to move. We're going to do this. And you know what's amazing? We have lived in some terrible situations and some things did not go the way that I planned them or thought them out in my crazy little head. And my wife has stood by my side that whole time. Never said, I told you so. Never said, you big turkey. She didn't. And so that's one of the things that, that has been amazing is to have a helpmate like my wife. Parents are the head of the child. The Bible says, children, obey your parents. All the, if you're sitting next to a youth, I just want to make sure all youth's eyes are on me. I see you guys in the front. You're kind of hard to not look at me. Back corner, are you guys all paying attention back there? Okay. Children, oh, wake up. <laughs> Children, obey your parents. <laughs> children, obey your parents. It doesn't say children, obey your parents because your parents are always right. It says children, obey your parents. This is a, a teaching of children how to follow authority so that one day God might let you be an authority. But if you can't be trusted with following now, what kind of kids are you going to have later? See, a lot of times kids are like, I want to do whatever I want to do whenever I, you, you, we have this mentality, I'm going to do whatever I want. Well, one day you're going to have a kid, and if you're like that, I hope you get one just like you. Because what God is trying to do is he's trying to teach you something. He's saying, children, obey your parents. One day you'll be one. One day you'll be the one responsible. You'll be the one setting the, the standards and the, and the road. You'll be that. So until then, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Isn't that an amazing verse? Obey your parents because you belong. If you belong to the Lord, then obey your parents. Not because they deserve it or because they're always nice or they're always great or they're always doing the right thing. For this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and your mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. The first commandment in all of the Bible with a promise. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you. You could ask any of my children if they don't obey me, things are not going well for them. It's, 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 it's kind of an amazing verse. If you honor your father and your mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on earth. That's not a promise from your parent. That's a promise from God. Isn't that amazing? How God has all the way from children to marriage to the church to just all authority in general that God has set it all up and explained why this is needed in your life. So, when left to yourself, what do you have the tendency of doing? Because what I want us to do today as we wind this down, what I'm wanting you to think about is this. What, if you were to rate yourself like 1 to 10, what is the level of rebellion you have in your life against God's given authority to your life? When you're left to yourself, 
If you're a kid and your parents aren't home, you have one inch of freedom. What do you do in those moments where you don't have somebody breathing over your shoulders? When you are home alone, when, when, you, when you, are, you, you quit the church and you walk away or you do whatever, when you're by yourself, what do you have the tendency of doing? Here's a couple of questions to follow that up. Whose authority and leadership have you, have you submitted yourself to? Who are the people in your life that have the right to call you out? So what kind of people? So, so you know, one... Guys, just because I'm a pastor and I'm the lead pastor in this church does not mean that I have no one above me. I have a mentor in my life and I have a board of elders that I answer to. There's always an authority. If there's ever a person who says, I am the top authority and nobody gets above me, that's probably a person to steer clear from. Because that's a dangerous place to be. You should always be under someone's authority. Someone who has permission in your life to call you out. To say, I think you're doing something that's ignorant. I think that you're doing something that's not well thought out. And then my last question for you to answer is, are you in rebellion to anyone that God has placed in your life? Hmm. Are you in rebellion to your husband? Are you in rebellion against the church? Are you in rebellion against Christ and his word? Are you in rebellion against your parents? Because rebellion is basically coming to the point of I'm going to do what I'm going to do despite where this is at. Because rebellion is the opposite of humility, right? Rebellion, would that be in the realm of pride. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. When you're left by yourself. So here's where, here's how this invitation time should go. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. <clears throat> and I'm going to start asking a series of questions. And I'm going to start with the men because the men should lead the way today. Men should lead. Because that's how God said it. So if, there's, if you as a, as a husband and a father, if, if, if God is doing some convicting in you and showing that, that you haven't been doing this family thing the, the way that God has set up for you to do, maybe you're looking at, I have not been loving my wife the way that I should. I haven't been, been raising my children the way that I should. I'm, I'm finding my place, myself in a place that I, I'm not doing this the way that God is saying to do this. And I invite you to come up and make some changes right here, right now. You lead the way. I know it's really hard for us to admit when we fall short and that we're not perfect in general. Invitations are the hardest things that, to get up, to, to be able to admit that I haven't done all of this the way that I need to do, but I want to do better. One of the things I love about character is it's what you do when no one's looking, what you stand for when everyone's watching, but my favorite part is who you desire to be. Maybe today I just want to be a better husband and a better father and a better man of God than I am today. Maybe that's where we start.
Wives, I want to extend this invitation to you. Maybe some of you are sitting here saying, you know, I haven't been able to find a respect for my husband that I should have. And I know that I'm pretty hard on him, but I want to do some things differently. Though my husband's not perfect, I'm so glad that God gave him to me. Maybe as a parent, you've been so wrapped up in your own life that you've kind of forgotten the most, one of the most important things that God has placed in your life is to raise your children. Maybe as a parent today, maybe as a parent you need to come. And maybe today as a parent you say, God, help me do this better. Do this differently. God, would you please reestablish me in the lives of my children? so that I could be an example to them. And to you youth and children out there, maybe maybe some of you are here today and you're kind of coming to a place of realizing that maybe you have not submitted yourself to obeying your parents the way that you should. And that maybe you're finding yourself in rebellion against your parents. Maybe today's the day that you ask God to help you turn that part around.